Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer or artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field along with contest winners and a few surprise guests. Today we're speaking with Writers of the Future Volume 28 winner, Corey Lee. She won back in Volume 28 with her short story, Set Down, and it was a fascinating story that combined dance with paramilitary operations, and I'm anxious to be able to, to find out how that story came to be. So welcome, Corey. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So um, now that we're now that I've introduced that story, how'd you come to write a ballet slash dance paramilitary story? It actually grew out of a writing challenge with my writing group. And we drew subgenres of science fiction and fantasy out of a hat. And the only requirement was that it had to be a subgenre that you'd never written before. And I'd never written military science fiction. And so when I pulled that, I was uh, a little intimidated, but very excited and wanted to sort of put my own spin on military SF and really give it a character that I hadn't seen before. And so that was where I came up with the sort of core of the idea, which was this this ballet dancer, this aspiring ballet dancer who's disfigured in an industrial accident. She loses some fingers. And so she's no longer perfect for ballet. And so she ends up enlisting um, and fighting this crazy battle on on an um, alien world. Wow. Yeah. So that was, I said that was, I was very intrigued by that. And so being able to uh, hear the genesis of that is, is uh I very much appreciate that. So now, as an author, when did the uh, desire to become a writer first hit you? Um, I have always loved fiction, and I've been writing since I was a kid. I remember in fifth grade writing a quote-unquote novel about uh, these aliens that were like moose, mooses that had these <laughs> symbiotic rocks that lived on their fur and helped them be sentient. And like, so I've been, I've been a science fiction fantasy geek for a long, long time with the writing bug. <laughs> wow. What an amazing opening novel. <laughs> <laughs> that turns out to be not the one that got published. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> so, um, in terms of the writers of the future contest, how did you hear about it and how did that you know, how many times did you enter and before actually winning the contest? Yeah. Um, so I, I guess my Writers of Future journey began with a science fiction convention in Boston where I met some other writers who talked about Odyssey and Clarion and how those workshops had really helped them. So I went to Odyssey um, and it was amazing. I learned so much. And one of the things that I started doing at Odyssey was focusing on short fiction. Before then, I'd always worked on novels because that's kind of what I'd read. That's what I loved. But being able to work on short fiction was super helpful because it let me have a much faster turnaround time to improve my craft right. and sort of integrate all the things that I was learning, drinking from this amazing fire hose of knowledge. And so after Odyssey, I decided to continue working on short fiction while I kind of integrated all the stuff that I'd learned in those intense six weeks. And um, I think sometime at Odyssey, I'd heard about Writers of the Future as this just amazing venue where, you know, you didn't have to be a big name that could sell magazines by like a recognized name on the cover of a magazine. You could just win because you wrote a great story. And um, so I started entering, I think I started entering Writers of the Future basically right after Odyssey when I had some stories 
um, polished up and ready. Mm-hmm. So I probably entered, I don't know, four quarters or so before I won. Um, Cause I worked on, I focused solely on short stories for about a year after Odyssey. And it was kind of at the end of that year that um, I got the amazing, exciting call that I was a, a Writers of the Future winner. I get it. So then when you came out, was the event in, in Los Angeles? Yes. Yes, it was. So when you came to Los Angeles, what was that workshop week like? Was there any particular highlights for you with the judges or what you were studying? Yeah. Um, well, there was this amazing moment where um, after the awards ceremony, Tim Powers pulled me aside and was like, oh, you wrote Shut Down. I loved that story. And he kind of enthused about it <laughs> for five minutes. And it was just like the most amazing moment of my little writer heart. But also uh, the the story challenge that we had during the workshop for the Writers of Future um, workshop um, is what grew into my debut novel, Weave the Lightning. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so the story challenge involved three different things. I don't know if it's still how it goes, but it um, we were given an given an object. We were taken to the library and told to find an interesting book and to have a conversation with a stranger. And the object didn't end up making it into the, into the final book. But the book that I found was this beautiful illustrated book about the circus. And there was this photo of a young woman in kind of 1920s gear, like get up holding this giant python wrapped around her. And the caption said, the big snakes when well-fed, are docile and not dangerous. And I just loved that so much. And so I was like, okay, okay, we need a circus, a traveling circus, we need a python. Um, and then the conversation I had, I ended up talking with this man standing in line ahead of me in Starbucks. And I was like, oh, you know, what do you think about LA? Like, where are you from? Um, and he was from a former Soviet bloc country and had just recently moved to LA. And he was like, it's amazing. Here, the secret police cannot pull you from your house in the middle of the night and arrest you and your family. And wow. I was just like, whoa. <laughs> whoa. Um, <laughs> and so the kind of the Russian inspiration in Weave the Lightning, um, the kind of feel of the, the, the state kind of watching over you and you having to watch what you say and who you talk to, like that came out of that conversation. Wow. That is yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Just from standing in line in Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like some random person. He was not the first person I talked to, but he was the most interesting, certainly. <laughs> Boy, that, that's fascinating. So then, um, so that was eight years ago when you were here at the, uh, at the workshop. And what about any of the, the friends you made at that time? Are you, are you still in touch with any of the uh, judges or other fellow writers? Um, not a whole lot. I wish I were a little bit more. Um, I'm sort of Twitter friends with a few of the other winners from uh-huh. my year. Um, I actually ended up at, uh, I went to Taos Toolbox with another one of the winners from my year. Um, that was fun. Mm-hmm. And I see Tim Powers at conventions from time to time. Yeah. But yeah, that's about it. Mm-hmm. So after that point there years ago, um, what happened? How, how did it evolve? Because you have now have a, a novel you just released a few months ago, which we're going to be talking mm-hmm. about momentarily. But how did, how did your um, life progress at that point? Let's see. Um, at that time, I was 
just about to defend my PhD thesis. So I have a PhD in physics from Harvard. And so I was sort of finishing that up. Um, and I spent spent a good chunk of time after that kind of writing full time. Um, that book didn't sell. It was a different book. Then let's see, I had a kid. I switched fields and worked in the tech industry for a while. And so writing kind of waxed and waned as a priority. It was always something that was really important to me, but um, with a two-year-old and working at a in, intense data science job in Seattle, I was um, didn't have a ton of time for writing. So right, like right. It, it kind of ended up being something that I had to fit into the cracks. For a while, I was setting my alarm two hours before I had to go to work and like plunking myself down at my laptop for an hour and a half to work on a on the book um, before I went into work. Mm-hmm. And that worked for a while, though it was very draining. Um, and now I'm able to focus full-time or almost full-time on writing, which is really nice. We'll see how it lasts. I feel like one of the one of the most important things I've learned in this time has been to like to be real with yourself. Uh-huh. And like if writing is a passion that you have embrace that and know that and like try to fit that in. But if life makes that impossible, like especially right now, like we're in COVID quarantine, people have young children at home or people they're taking care of, like be real with yourself. If if you need the space to set that aside for a little while, that's okay. You can always come back to it. Right. So it's, it's kind of interesting that you've got your, you're a, a doctor of, in physics and you're writing this is circus fantasy, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. So um, please uh, feel free to <laughs> talk f- about please that. feel free to elucidate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, when I was when I was finishing up my PhD, uh, you know, I, w- I would go to conventions and stuff and talk to some of the other PhD physicists who were like, "Yeah, hard SF, like, like bring your physics to the to the books," and that seemed a little bit too much like real work to me at the time. Uh-huh. Um, I really wanted something that uh, speculative fiction has always been kind of escapist for me. Right. And at the time, what I needed was to escape from the nitty gritty of working on physics research in my day job. Um, and so fantasy was really appealing to me, though you can't entirely take the physicist out of the equation. I think um, I have a fairly intricate magic system in Weave the Lightning. And a lot of that comes from sort of my understanding of science and building up magic in a way that feels organic and that feels natural to the world. And and I don't think if I hadn't studied science, I don't think that would have come out quite the same way. I get it. Quite often when I don't read the stories when they're submitted. I read them after the judges select the, the winning stories. Mm-hmm. And when I read them, I can always, I can usually always tell what a person's profession is. You know, if they're a doctor, I can definitely tell that immediately because <laughs> of the way they describe things, you know, um, of the body. And then sometimes if they're, you know, if they do have their physics background, you can tell that the way they describe certain things, they definitely have a better understanding of it. I was just... It was just interesting when you said that about your your degree in physics, and then this. Um, I, I need to read a little bit more of it. I just I, I read enough to be able to be familiar with the story for this interview, but I haven't read the whole book yet. So I'll, I'll look for that mm-hmm. in your. Uh, you know, now that you told me that the, the physics. Yeah, I think it. I think it comes out if you know yeah. the look. <laughs> <laughs> 
Good. And then I also, I don't think I've seen that book in our Rise of the Future library, unless I missed it. It could be. Um, it just came out in April, so... Yeah, um, so if you can send it, it, it's probably it may it may have already come here and just hasn't gotten in yet because it's everything's locked down and we've got yeah you know only just yesterday was it announced that we can start coming back into the offices so mm-hmm. yeah so mm-hmm. it's been um, rather an uneventful it's been a yeah a challenging time indeed, definitely indeed are you finding you're able to do more writing now irrespective of what you said before but just because of the of the lockdown or because now you're home no. with your two-year-old you're more time <laughs> yeah with well your... she's she's six now but um that definitely makes it much harder to make the time to work yeah uh, with a small child running around yeah. <laughs> yes so, but I'm on deadline for book two, so I am getting a lot of writing done, just out of necessity. <laughs> so you're on deadline for what? For the second book in the series, for Weave the Lightning. Oh, good. So how many books will be in this series? Uh, hopefully three. Um, two, two have been bought right now, so we'll see. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Oh, that's really good. So now that we've got it, so tell me a little bit about uh, Weave the Lightning. What's, what's the storyline, and um, why should somebody read this book? Totally. Um, So it takes place in a Russian-inspired fascist state, and magic from storms is returning decades early. And in theory, all mages are controlled by the state. Uh, But the story follows a young woman, Selka, who's a resistance fighter, and she's hiding a treasonous secret. And Garrett, who's a young man trained as a mage by the state. And he's kind of learning to think for himself. So the book is sort of about figuring out who to trust and what trust costs. And as we've talked about, it takes place mostly in a traveling circus. And it's also kind of hopeful. Like I've talked about how it's, it takes place in this fascist state. You kind of have to watch what you say and everything. But it's about resistance, right? It's about fighting the, the systems that are bad and oppressing people. And, and so there's a kind of through line of hope in it. And I think that's really important, especially in our current times. Mm-hmm. Um, I at least don't want to read grimdark fantasy right now. Yeah. Um, and this is very much not grimdark. This is, this I would say is more on the side of hope punk. Um, just, Okay. Yeah. So then now the the one girl now she's able to she transforms herself. Is that what she does when she with her magic? Yeah, so there's the the mages who can use the storm magic right. to build new magical objects. They kind of have to go into this what what's called the neighboring reality. Right. Um, Susednia in the book. And it's kind of a altered state of consciousness in a way of they see kind of a a whole different landscape, but it's formed more out of needs and ideas and it kind of translates to the physical world, but only sort of. And so there's, there's certain things that the, those mages can do in Susednia um, that are not possible in, in real life, in true life. Right. Um, And it's also how they create a knife that can cut through steel like it's butter or, a healing imbuement that can, you know, cure cancer or, or that sort of thing. Wow, because that was cool. That was that. There was part of that that I was listening to. And like that was pretty interesting. How how she did that. How she connected and I guess that's a, one of her skills that she has or mm-hmm. talents that she's, yeah. but that she definitely can't let people know or certain people. I yes, guess. yes, yes. The state would very much want her if uh, right. if Selka let on that she has this ability. I get it. So, 
in terms of, because a lot of people will be listening to this podcast, have their, their regular job, they have their regular life expectancies, which they need to fulfill, but yet want to become or want to also fulfill their own desire as a writer. How are you able to do that? Because you had, you know, you're a mom. How long have you been also doing this while you've had your regular day job or how's that worked? Yeah, yeah, I definitely have. Um, the It's always a balancing act. Um, and there were definitely times like when my when my daughter was really young where I didn't have very much time to write. And mm-hmm. I just kind of had to had to say, nope, not happening right now. Or when I would write and later discover that it was really not some of my best work because I was massively <laughs> sleep deprived. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I think coming up for me, at least what helped the most was saying, okay, I'm, I'm really committed to this and having a serious conversation with my partner and saying like, okay, how do we make this work? Um, when I was working full time as a data scientist as well, I, like I mentioned earlier, I, I, set an alarm and I got up early before I had to go to work because my brain functions best in the morning. Uh-huh. And so I just spent my first best hour of brain activity on writing. And maybe it was two hours if I got up really early and was very efficient with my morning. Maybe it was just an hour. Right. Um, and I also carved out some weekend time where I negotiated childcare and that sort of thing to figure out, okay, on Saturday mornings from 9.30 to noon, I am just writing and you're leaving me alone and then I'll take back over. And, and like, that was what I needed to do at the time because I didn't have other time for it. And it meant being really kind of hard on myself with like, I, okay, I have to go to bed at 9 p.m. or I'm not going to be able to hit that like 6 a.m. alarm and be brain brainful enough to write. Um, and that was hard, but it was important enough to me to be able to have that writing time that I made it work. Obviously you did. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of, I guess, dedication, because this is one thing that's come up a lot when I've talked to people, not so much right now, but at conventions of, you know, they wonder that and like, what's the secret formula? And I think from talking with you and several others as well in the past, it is a dedication and an author, a writer writes, and it's that dedication to being true to your own, your goal or promise to yourself maybe to actually follow through and, and make it happen. It's maybe it's because of a dream you had when you were six years old or something that evolved. But I guess it's being true to yourself with, with that desire to, to be an author. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's the biggest part of it because you can't work on any of the other steps if you don't actually spend the time writing. Yeah. Um, and I think I think for me the second biggest thing that makes the difference between you know getting getting published and not is not only do you have to get your yourself in front of the computer and write, but you have to be willing to be critical of what you've written and let other people see it who have the sort of writing capabilities to be critical of it as well and listen to them. Um, For me, having writing groups um, that can critique my work and um, that happened a lot in Odyssey as well, where I sort of learned to set my ego aside and say, okay, 
let me let me let these smart people read this story and see what they have to say and and learn from them what is broken and then it's on me to figure out how to fix it and i think right. that cycle of hearing what's not working setting your ego aside and working on fixing that that is almost as critical as getting yourself in front of the computer to write because if you're just writing if you're just kind of throwing your stories into a void maybe you're getting rejections you don't really know why um then then you're not going to improve as fast as if you're getting some feedback that says gosh you know that i found that protagonist really unsympathetic or the ending didn't really make sense to me or that sort of thing where you can say oh shoot i thought i nailed that and you can have that <laughs> moment you can be like okay take a deep breath that's really hard to hear okay now i'm going to now I'm going to work on figuring out how to make my protagonist more sympathetic, or I'm going to figure out how to make that ending land and, and doing that iterative loop and really forcing yourself to improve and confront your weaknesses as a writer. Okay. That makes sense. Now, what about operating in an environment where you're supported, where your dream to do that is actually, you know, encouraged? Is that, is that played a role at all for you? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, mean, I see a my, picture on your on your Facebook page of of Josh holding this book, pointing finger to it, this big grin. <laughs> you know, weave the lightning. Yeah. It's like it's like man, he's he's one thousand percent behind you on this thing here. So I was just curious if yeah. that if that was came my, to play. My husband has been really amazing. Um, he has supported me um, both in terms of like I kind of mentioned before negotiating childcare making sure that there's that I have space to write and also just um being a, a cheerleader for my writing um he's always very excited to read the latest story or the latest draft of the novel um he's not the best at giving like enthusiasm like this is amazing um but he has he asks really good questions he's actually my my first reader of most things and uh -huh. spots a lot of a lot of things that aren't working um and so we've uh kind of had to negotiate how that works with our marital um uh happiness <laughs> sometimes it can be a little rough yeah uh, <laughs> but but we've worked through it and and it's been a really good relationship um as a creative that's good it would seem like especially if you are in a situation where you've raising a child you've got a day job and these other activities that must be dealt with there needs to be some agreement given you that you're able to to write your book and give them the space to do that definitely yeah it's um i i'm a firm believer in really honest open communication because i feel like without that it's hard like if especially if your partner is not somebody who themselves is a uh, creative and they maybe don't quite understand how how you need kind of solid chunks of undisrupted time to be able to produce uh it's up to you to kind of educate them and you know, be clear about what's important and what you need, um, but also to listen. Like there, there were times when you know things come came up. Our kid was sick, or you know, my husband had a big work thing do, where I had to say, "Okay, gosh, I I won't have my Saturday writing time," or you know, I was up all night because my kid kept waking up, and so I'm gonna have to skip my morning writing session so that right. I can be a functional human. Right. So yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So that. 
Because I think that's something that's really important for people to understand that it's it's a give and take on this thing here, not just I need my writing time. You're not giving it to me, so you're you're a bum. It's it's got to be a <laughs> it's a two way yeah. street. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Otherwise, it's not going to last as a as a street. <laughs> that that yeah. relationship will will stumble, and you'll be in for more strife than <laughs> is really helpful. Yeah, yeah. So on your um, storytelling, so you've got this as you've got your first, and then your second one. Your second book is done, and now you're, or is that the one you've got your deadline on? Yeah, um, I am revising it right now, or okay. rewriting it actually, because I got some really big feedback on the last draft and um, had to sort of scrap some big elements of the book and start anew, which was 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 the right the right choice, but was hard to do at the time. <laughs> so, is this from your publisher editor, or is this from somebody else? Um, the, this round of feedback was from my writing group before my editor saw it. Okay. Um, and so then I had to have the, the challenging conversation with actually with my agent. She, she talked to my editor of, yeah, so that deadline that I thought I was like really golden on and was super going to land, I need to push that back three months so that I can completely rewrite this book. (laughs) (laughs) So fortunately the, the publisher rebellion was, was great about that. And now I have a new deadline. (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, that's good, and that's that's what makes the fifteen percent to agents worth it. Totally. So um, now you're going to have the third in, in this trilogy. Do you have other works already in mind that you're either starting on or that you're planning on? Yeah, I've been. Um, I was sort of noodling on a brand new series. That's a it's a very character driven, hard science fiction series far future that is kind of the next thing that's on my plate um once i once i finish this Borshkania trilogy so, so i'm excited so to get to work on that yeah so you're are you just going to stay on and do the trilogy then start your next one and keep it as a linear progress um probably we'll we'll see how um after i turn in book two we'll we'll have to have some conversations about how likely book three is to be purchased so uh it's always a little tricky when you when you sell part of a series, I think, to know whether you're going to continue working on the future books that have not been sold, or if you're going to say, let's see if they buy that book and be willing to take a little bit more of a time gap in between books being released. So that'll be a conversation between my editor and my agent and me, and either I'll work on book three right away or I'll go and work on this other thing. So I don't yeah. know yet. Well, all right. So... How do people find out about your uh, your book? How do they how do they get the book? Is it um, Amazon or bookstores or all of the above? Yeah, yeah, all of the above. Um, the book is called Weaves of Lightning, and um, you can find out more about it on my on my website, CoreyLee.com. C O R R Y L E E dot com. And yeah, it's it's available bookstores online. Uh, there's an audiobook version of it. So sort of however you like to read, you can pick it up. Good. And then on, on social media, to be able to follow you on that is? Yeah. Um, I'm occasionally active on Twitter. I sort of ebb and flow there. Um, so I'm, I'm Corey L. Lee on Twitter. And um, I also have an Instagram account that I am occasionally on too. So either way. All right. So um, anything's... Do you like any last words you like to say to 
aspiring writers as to something that will actually help them, you know, if they're running into difficulties or things that you personally overcame that you think would be helpful if they knew that and if you would have known it when that happened would have uh, made it better for you? Yeah, I think I think one of the hardest things when you're an aspiring writer is wondering if you'll ever get published and if you'll ever kind of get that break. And I think the answer to that is yes, if you keep writing. Um, and just that kind of encouragement of you will get better if you're working to get better, if you're putting in your time, if you're listening to feedback from people who are at or above your level and you're, you're really trying to improve, you will make it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, yeah. that's definitely good. And it's, um, so you've, your writing groups or writing group that you've been participating in mm-hmm. is. Yeah. I've had a number of them over the years. Um, there are, if you, if you don't know who to reach out to for a writing group, there are online communities. Um, I'm kind of out of date on that. Uh, online writers workshop and critters were the ones that were around when I was in that space. Um, but I think one of the most important things in a writing group and, and in getting critical feedback is that you can really trust the people who are reading your stuff. If mm-hmm. they're going to be people who are just like, Oh, I didn't like it or are going to kind of say terrible, hurtful things about it, that's not going to help you improve. Right. And so finding a writing group and being like, being really willing to say no thanks to those people and cut them out of your group is really important. Um, the writing group that I currently am in, I formed with a couple of writers that I knew in my local area. And we had a audition phase for any new members where they had to read some of our stuff and give critique. We read some of their stuff and gave critique so we could see both how they gave critique, how they handled critique, make sure that their writing was at a level that um, that was professional enough for where we were at in our careers. And we, we told some people no thanks um, because they just weren't able to give that kind of respectful feedback that we needed. And so I think finding people who can give respectful feedback, but who aren't going to pull their punches. Mm -hmm. Like if something's not working, they'll tell you, but they'll tell you in a respectful way so that you can work to fix it. Those people, those people are going to be your best uh, resources until you have an agent, until you have editors who should be doing the same thing um, as well. Well, that's good to know. We do have the Writers of the Future Forum, which is open to anybody and we have past winners who are there that moderate the forum and, and keep it, you know, so it, it is helpful. And it's yeah, not... Yeah, and that can be yeah. a great place to meet meet new people exactly. that you can form a writing group with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, good. Well, thank you very much, Corey. It's been a real pleasure talking to you again after all these thank years. You, John. Yeah. And um, um, I am going to use that photo of you from Volume 28 on a little... I make little videos announcing the different podcasts, so I'll have that, and then uh-huh. whatever you send me now, so we can see. The, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> the last How eight it years. My look. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> so um, I wish you all the best in this, and again, give your um, website and social media how they can how they can find you. Yep, I'm coreylee.com, C-O-R-R-Y-L-E-E dot com, and on Twitter and. Instagram, it's Corey, C-O-R-R-Y, L-E-E. Great. And once again, the name of your book? Weave the Lightning. 
So please check it out. It is really good. And there hasn't been a whole lot of circus fantasy um, for, for time. And I was really happy to see that because it's something that was in the, in the earlier days of the golden age of science fiction. Uh, circus fantasy was a very fo popular form of, uh, of speculative fiction. And it's great seeing that uh, you've done something with that again. Totally. Thank you. Great. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Writers of the Future podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeart, and Spotify. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elrond Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to new and amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Corey. Thank you. 